everybody. Welcome back. I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Alana. And this is another episode of Black and Yellow. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Summer is in full swing. Yes. I hope you guys are staying nice and fine and cool. Mm-hmm. Or working Getting on that your tan. tan. <laughs> You're like right on it, honey. Uh, I hope everyone's bikini bodies are on fleek. And we are back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Here talking about something I love to talk about. <laughs> so, Jack, yes. pop quiz. Okay. I'm putting that big beautiful Asian brain of yours to use. Tell me what all of these words have in common. Okay. You ready? Yes. Lollapalooza, Coachella, Electric Daisy Carnival, Outside Lands, Ultra, Above and Beyond, Bonnaroo, Burning Man, South by Southwest, Sasquatch, Electric Zoo. I have the answer. Are you sure? I think so. Okay. Go for it. Music festivals. They are indeed all music festivals. Bing, 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 There's a fucking lot of music festivals. Yo, there is. That happen just in the U.S. I know. Just in the U.S. It's insane. Yeah, 32 million people attend music festivals every year in the United States. Well, it's become so mainstream now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a huge cash cow, though I fear sure. and feel as though now the festival bu- bubble has bursted a little bit. Bursted as in hell. I think there are so many festivals, and I think that... Lineups are getting more and more competitive in terms of booking them. Sure. The pressure's on to get a bigger, better lineup every year. Yes. And I think that we've, from festivals inceptions up to now, I think that we have seen so many amazing mainstream and non-mainstream festival acts Mm -hmm. that I wonder, like, who's left to play a festival that we haven't already seen, that hasn't, that isn't on tour, that hasn't toured, like, a ton. Oh, Do you know I what I mean? See what you mean? Yeah, it's kind of like I see what you mean. Like it's just been so done. It's been done, but I also way. feel like I look at festivals nowadays, like festival lineups, and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of crossover. Like Florence and the Machine is playing at Outside Lands this year. Florence and the Machine was supposed to also play at FYF before it got canceled. Same thing with Janet Jackson. Mm. Like I feel like there's a ton of crossover now because. I get that booking festivals is a is a combination right. of who's hot, who's got new releases, yeah. new albums to promote, and who's also available. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like who's not on their own arena tour or yeah. club tour, but also who is going to relate to this current festival audience. Yeah. And I think there's also something to respect about like a certain band or DJ or group that sort of like doesn't play at all of them or like you know what I mean like you said like picks here and there which ones they should you know like I like I've always wanted to see Daft Punk because Mm -hmm. they never perform Mm -hmm. and like that's sort of something so when they do it's like oh my god gotta go gotta go gotta be there you know so fast for sure definitely or just like be very part like I love I go to Above and Beyond's um New Year's sort of bash they throw around like December 29th okay. 30th and it's so simple it's easy wow it's a like, festival is simple I've never well, heard it's just like, like a concert that. really but okay. like but like you know it's like you're there just to see them got it you know? I see what you're saying and it's like it's specific it's not like anything crazy and tickets aren't really expensive it's just right. like simple and I feel like yeah with certain music festivals it becomes this whole that's what it's about but like yeah, oh. I can see. I see what you're saying, you know? but I think the I think again, like the pressure mounts to like outdo every time, every like single time. EDC 2017 has to be better than EDC 2016, and yeah. EDC 2017 Vegas has to be better than EDC 2017 
Paris. Oh, yeah. Or Mexico. Right, 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 or, right. Or whatever. Every single time. If we're talking about one of those festivals that has, like, different iterations in different cities. Yeah, and different days. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I totally agree. And because it has become so mainstream now, which is funny mm-hmm. because I remember when I was only, like, 10 or 12, that's when my, bro- my brother, my brother sort of like introduced me to this world okay because he um actually is like an old school like raver like okay. he would like like with a glow stick nice like, like do the awesome he probably had it? to call the hotline to like figure out where the parties yeah, were and, like it was like super old school where like he had to crack the glow sticks and there wasn't like any fancy led lights and like he like made his own gloves and yeah. he would, like tie the shoelace like just like the old like way of like doing light shows and right. how, it being about dance and music and plur and plur and totally crystal meth was the drug of choice yeah. at the time. And and it wasn't popular. I mean, a rave, no. I went to my first rave when I was really young and my mom went with us. Oh, we whoa. Went to, I know, right? We went to How Sweet It Is. Okay. It's really, oh, I don't even think they have it anymore. I don't, that doesn't sound And familiar. tickets were like $50. Like, yeah. I saw Cascade for $50. Well, yeah, because like, I mean, fest- I mean, Underground shows yeah. or underground warehouse parties, I think we can call them that. At that yeah. point, we're, like, not in high demand. Not at all. In the in mainstream, if you turn on the radio, it was there was no EDM. No. There was no house. There was no trance. There was, like, none of that. But also mainstream news media painted raves or underground warehouse parties or whatever you want to call them out to be... Uh, a drug den. Yeah, and when it, like, kind of came from, you know, it being, like, in from Europe. For it's sure. sort of being the sort of underground. Yeah. But, like, very, like, let yourself go. Like Come as you are. Yeah. Everyone is welcomed and accepted. Wear whatever you want. For sure. We love you. And just seeing that transform into, like, EDC or Monster or I think we could consider summer. those, like, massives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, like, it, like, how that transformed into something, like, a massive. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think that festivals Festivals nowadays sort of build themselves as like all inclusive, because yes. you package. are accepting. Um, it's like a break from the real world, like a respite from the shitty government that we are currently living mm-hmm. in. Come here to this fantasy oasis of music and beautiful people and great drugs. fashion, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol. It's so it's such an interesting reflection of our society, I think, right now. Well, I think everyone needs a break. I think so too. I just it's it, it's 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 just interesting. I, I like I find it very fascinating to me. Like, cause to me, I think of of festivals and raves, and in a way, it sort of reminds me of the disco era. Yeah, completely. Where like again, people during that time needed an escape. They needed fantasy. They mm-hmm. needed to indulge in harmony. In a, a calm hedonistic fashion. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that we're still very much there I think we left and kind of came back mm-hmm. um but festivals aren't necessarily I think when you look a little bit closer at festival demographics in terms of like who's attending it might bill itself to be like all inclusive and all are welcomed but if you look closely festivals are very white yes <laughs> festivals especially the audiences definitely lack a certain amount of diversity. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can attribute a, a bunch of different things to that. But before we we talk about the specifics, let's just talk about some racial breakdowns. So a 2010, uh, 2010 census uh, for the festival populations of the 2010 summer festival season found that 58% of the attendees were white, 13% were black, 5% were Asian, 20% were Hispanic. And that's the 18 to 35-year-old demographic. Now, that was from 2010. 
I think our festival audiences have definitely changed. changed. Definitely. I 100 percent am confident enough to say that that 5 percent Asian attendee has definitely spiked. Yeah. I think that Asian kids, Asian uh, young adults, we'll say, have found a place in festival world. Mm -hmm. I think that black people are still trying to get there. Yeah, you don't see many black people. Yeah, I remember when I went to Coachella, that was when Dre and Snoop were headlining. And I remember a lot of times up until the day that they performed, which was Sunday, they closed the festival, looking around at the uh, the crowd and going, where are all the black people? Even when Snoop and Dre Yeah, I, and I felt like that all of Friday, oh, wow. all of Saturday, and maybe like two hours before Dre and Snoop were supposed to go on, I started to notice black people. Whoa. Like it became noticeable, but it was really weird to me because I was like, whoa, wait, Dre and Snoop are here. There's got to be a stronger yeah, outpouring sure. of black support. And sure as shit, when they went on the stage, I could see nothing but black folks. Right. But that also led me to believe like, okay, well, were they there the other two days? Was I not looking closely enough? Was I maybe not at the right sets? Like yeah. I I could feel the, the racial disparity going on mm, there. Interesting. Um, and then... Their set was amazing, like, in one of my top five p- favorite performances of all time. That's awesome. But. <sighs> tell me, girl, tell me. It can be uncomfortable to be a black person at a hip-hop set with a lot of white people around. Huh. Because there's always, anyone that knows Dre and Snoop knows that they are no stranger to using and throwing around that N-word. You, oh, for sure. There's always this, like, twinge of of anxiety or discomfort that, like, pulses through my body because I just don't want to hear white people say the N-word. I don't care how popular the song is. I don't care. And this is our episode on the N-word of, like, how people do use it. Exactly. And, like, I don't know about white people listening out there, but I know this is, like, a, a feeling that is shared among, like, black people festival goers like Uh or or black concert goers in general like god there's nothing worse than like wanting to enjoy a show and like hoping that the audience around you is like woke enough and aware enough to be like yo i'm white can't say that word even though it's written in the song right even though this is how the artist wrote it i still can't say it and sure shit some white person will drop the n-word and and blame it on like oh man well it's the lyric of the song like what do you want me to do about it that's how he wrote it um. Yeah. So, but I, I feel like festivals can get more diverse. The, yeah. I, right. Well, I think even what a festival stands for, you know, the idea of it being open, come together, plur, whatever, right. be as you are, be free, one love. Which I don't think that plur really exists by and large at these like big commercial massives. Yeah. I think it still exists, but I don't necessarily know if like plur is like radiating the audiences at like. Coachella or Ultra. No, not at all. You know what all. I mean? Not at all. Uh, but I definitely think it, it, it will be. And, and it is getting more more diverse for sure, which is a good thing. Yeah, but still, according to Nielsen, 69.2% of festival going public uh, are white people. Hmm. 100%. So there's an overwhelming, like, over-representation of white people at festivals. So let's just, like, talk about maybe why that is because part of it's a money factor yes festivals over time can get kind of pricey yeah especially if you're doing multiple festivals in a year in a year yeah they get really expensive which is also why i think that the asian community has taken to festivals as well Mm -hmm. because you guys have the money to blow yeah (laughs) well some do most do (laughs) and are looking to have a good time yeah i think for us it was sort of like this newer generation, I feel like. I feel like the older generation, first of all, there weren't that many music festivals around as much. Mm-hmm. But I think also it wasn't like, 
like you grew up sort of with like your your dad sort of like taking you to festivals lots of music. And, he was a jazz. Yeah, he is a jazz aficionado. And I don't like it. Typically, if you really want to like go super like stereotypical, go there. Asian go people there. aren't very necessarily artistic, or like if they are, they don't see it as something that needs to be pursued. Huh? Like, interesting. Lawyers, engineers, doctors, got like, it. All this stuff. So I think, like, let's say you grew up in a household where, let's say, your dad is, like, a businessman and your mother is a stay-at-home mom and maybe she really likes music and those she listens to it. But it's never, like, like let's go watch a concert. Mm-hmm. Let's go, you know, it was it's never really, I think, part of the Asian household. I've never, I've had a lot of Asian friends, that, like, that they never gone to a concert with their family. Interesting. They don't go see shows. Hmm. Um, is it because Asian parents feel like that time could be better spent doing other stuff and it could be a waste of money yeah yeah and they don't see that it could be somehow uh that you're adding to the life of your child or that like that that like you love this artist in america if you love an artist you have the ability and the possibility to go see them live which to them is like if they came from china right well they they didn't even you know just listening to that kind of music is already enough for them interesting you know coming from that immigrant state of mind got it so they don't want to further pursue like i love this album i want to hear it see it feel it live yeah i don't think they even think that that is even a possibility or that they should want or need that got it so it's very interesting i on the other hand grew up with a very artistic mother so i'm just i'm obviously a little bit more unorthodox in that way and i'm an artist on top of that but i grew up with my mom taking me to shows i remember seeing like phantom of the opera when i was like 10 and and like yeah, um, one irish theater. dancing what do you call them um uh river dance uh, river dance uh-huh. oh my god yeah i my mom took me to go see river dance really young and celine dion and so so I think now this new generation of Asians that sort of are like, I make my own money. Right. I'm an American. Mm-hmm. I want to have a good time. And a lot of these go with, you know, big groups of people. Right. And I think this new generation really are uh, taking a sort of like full throttle of like going to these festivals. Yeah. Back I, to back to back. Definitely. I totally feel like attending a festival is like a rite of passage for young adults in America, no matter how right. how old you are or what race See, you I are. See, I never thought about it like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And, and still growing up in a very artistic household, it was never something that's like in our culture. It was something my mom never talked about. I was introduced by it because of my brother, but it was still never like a thing we talked about in our friends. Like all my, we never talked about like, oh, I want to, summer's here. Let's go to a music festival. That was just like never something we did. Got it. Yeah. Huh. Like for me, summer equals music festival i have never met a music festival i didn't like yeah whether but you were this was when you were thinking when you were like young like grade school high school college i'm just saying in general i've never met a a festival definitely not grade school a festival i didn't like i remember hearing about coachella in high school and i think that that was initially what piqued my interest that coupled with there were ravers that went to my high school Mm. so hearing about like the music festival world and then hearing about these like raves and underground warehouse shows and all of that world, it just piqued my interest. That's so interesting, yeah. And then going to college in upstate New York, there were, like, raves out in cornfields. Right. So a different sort of raving, but it was still cool. the same principle. And I was still bitten by that, uh, I don't want to say festival bug. I was bitten by the bug of having a lot of people expelling a ton of energy in one space, coming together together. Simply for the sake of having a good time. Mm, I see. 
that was a really powerful and addictive feeling. drug for me. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. That feeling of like together as oneness, we're all looking out for each other. Yeah. We're all going to get home safely. We're all going to have fun. But right now, it's on. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was really that. seductive to me. Ah, uh, yes, that's a perfect way to describe it because that's, it is, it's seductive. Like, I, when I went to my first music festival, I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I could do this all the time. Like, right. it just felt good and right. Right, exactly. Yeah. And now I think because there's so many music festivals, now I think audiences have changed a bit. I think it's a bit more aggressive in terms of, like, everyone's out for having their own fun. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. Um, which is why a festival like Burning Man, which I don't know if I would bill as a music festival. Mm-hmm. It is a festival that deserves respect and mention in this in this episode for, for sure. sure. Um, I, I think it's Burning like Man. the king of ever. It's like the king of all festivals. Yeah. That's how I see like, it. Like, it is the Chubacabra of festivals. Abs hands down. For sure. Like, you can go to all the music festivals across the USA, but it, until, for me, until you have made it to Burning yeah. Man, which is a different animal because most yeah. festivals are set up for you so you just show up and it's ready to right enjoy. but burning man you have to work at it Bur- burning man you've got to prepare you've right. got to get there you've got how, to set up how your many camp years have you been to burning man this is gonna be my third year fourth wow. year yeah and burning man has a census like when you the way that i get there is i fly into reno airport i take the burner express i.e the burner bus like all the way to black rock city which is where Burning Man takes place. And they actually do a census on the bus. And I'm like super passionate about getting it turned in. Because. You're so cute. Well, because Burning Man is overwhelmingly white. And I'm not saying that is a put down. It's overwhelmingly white. Well, I'm one started. of. started. Yes. Yeah. By anarchists in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but Burning Man is, I say, a different kind of festival because it's not ready to go. Like you have to prep, prep, prep. It takes more money to get ready for Burning Man than it does for a Coachella or an or, outside. Yeah, lands. any kind of festival. And because there's not a ton of African Americans there, I really want to be accounted for. Yeah, of course. And I respect that Burning Man does a census because it's more than just race and it's more than just age. It's marital status. It's household income. It's mm. it's how many years you've been before. I it's see. how you get there. It's how you camp. It's your eating and like what sort of diet you adhere to. Like it's a very thorough census. And I always, anytime I take it or anytime I read the stats back, I always look to see if the number of African-American. of African Americans has increased. And it increases like very minusculely. Mm. Every year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, black people, by and large, don't camp. And Burning Man is a 100% camping festival. Right. That's my, like, that would be my, like, go-to is camping festivals. Yeah. But I do look at the percentages of Asian attendees. And that goes up high, more so than black people. But that goes up every year as well, which doesn't 100% surprise me. Yeah. Because a big component of Burning Man is science and technology as well as art. So you... You get a strong Asian standing because generally, like, either the Asian kids there are making, are integrating art and science, Uh or they just have some great, interesting, innovative ideas on how to make the camping process easier Mm. or the waste process easier to deal with. Like, in a way, like, the Asians are the problem solvers there, but in the best possible way. Yeah, and... and and it makes sense that they're going to go there and do that and be that. I didn't really realize that Asian people camp like that. I didn't think that was like a thing that your culture did. Do they? Mm, yes and no. I want to say generally no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think so, no. but I just wanted to, to ask. Camping is not big 
an Asian community at all unless they've had unless they come from more like rural like in China you know more like rural area or their parents were very like uh, farmers or just very okay. like outdoorsy people got it but generally no <laughs> okay but I don't I don't think Asians are highly against like being in nature and camping and stuff in a way got even it even if they haven't been exposed to it hmm alright yeah I mean I love camping I didn't grow up camping See, I don't love camping. But I, love I trick it. myself to love it for Burning Man, oh. and I don't do it. Do you stay in tents? Yeah, you do. Straight yeah. up tents. Yeah, but, and then and and that's it. That's it. Yeah, like oh, I'm not I... like looking to go camping throughout the year. Oh, you know I what see. I mean? Yeah, I I always want to go camping, but then if I might as well combine the best of both worlds, which is to camp and also do a music festival. Yeah, because there's something really. Here's my thing. It's like usually you get off, you get out of a music festival, and either. You know, you're you're just like it's just nice to come home to come home to walk to your home. Yeah, like I, I get love that, that idea. I do getting into a car and drive, and if you can't drive and ball, you know, it's just like ugh, I think a about like more like clubbing is like kind of that like you're like either drunk and then you get into a car and then you end up home and then, I don't know, I just something about like continuing that like feeling of the like the vibes, you know, mm-hmm. going back to your campsite and being able to sit by a fire and. I, I, I love all of that. All right. Okay. Yeah, I dig. It's me. <laughs> You're such a hippie at heart. I am. Ugh. I think um, something about music festivals that I, going back to like mainstream music festivals and like taking it off of Burning Man for a second, I think another thing that being at a festival, I definitely am reminded that I am a black woman in a predominantly white space uh, due to something that Teen Vogue journalist Jessica Andrews uh, wrote about, which she dubbed Coachella appropriation, which is, i.e., white attendees borrowing style from other groups, such as bindis, daishikis, braiding mm-hmm. hair, uh, Indian tribal headdresses. She says, black hairstyles are not, quote, looks to try when you want to feel, quote, edgy, only to discard them once you're bored and ready to retreat back to your privileged bubble. Yeah, like, would they wear that out? I read that and was like, yeah, that is definitely a factor. Like, when I see that sort of cultural appropriation happen at festivals, I remember that I am black. Mm, For sure. And and secondly, I'm like, am I the only one seeing this? Right. And, like, is it okay because it's at a festival? Like, you think you get away with it because either everyone's on drugs and because it's this thing and it's, like, I, I feel that, too. Like, I, like... Like, am I the only one feeling this way? I think part of it is a learned thing. Yeah, someone else had to do it to make it okay. But also, like, when I see, like, a white guy in a daishiki or, like, white chicks rocking, like, dreads or corn rolls, I'm kind of like, okay, well, she's in a cluster of other white girls. None of them are exactly culturally, like... Uh, uh, PC. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's some level of, like, cultural appropriation happening. On each one of them? It's, it feels like that. I'm not saying that that's legitimate, but it just sometimes can feel like that to yeah. me. And I stop and think, like, oh, I get it. This is happening because white people don't really check other white people when it comes to cultural yeah. appropriation. I was just going to say that, like, let's say hypothetically in a group of white people, if that one, if there's one white person who shows up in a kimono or something, I wonder if yeah. other white friends are like, Do, is that okay? Or maybe they know that they have a huge, like, they're a weeaboo, which is like, it's like a slang for, like, white 
like a person, a white person who's like obsessed with Japanese, like anime, Japanese culture. Wait, say that again. Weeaboo. A weeaboo. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Interesting. There, which, which I, I talked about this on another episode, how like Japanese culture and the <coughs> country of Japan is like people have an obsession with that culture more than the other Asian culture. Yeah, it's so true. you see a lot of. Well, and, and, and like K-pop, like you see mm-hmm. like people around the world more obsessed of different races, not Korean, more obsessed with K-pop than certain Korean. I have found that fascinating and I've I never quite so understood fa- why. Me neither. There's this really wonderful documentary sort of style, episodic, not episode, like episodes on Netflix mm-hmm. called um, like Understanding or like Why or like, it's oh, it's called Explained. And mm-hmm. it's quick little like 30 minute episodes explaining certain like monogamy. Monomena. Monomena. Or like they explain the phenomenon of K-pop. Okay. So anyways, I it was really fascinating to see like how, it, it, it just interesting. But like going back to like cultural appropriation and and that makes me wonder too because i feel like a lot music festivals in general or a lot of campy festivals have become sort of um costumey like like almost like the disco area like Hmm. it becomes like i know people when they go to edc they're like planning outfits gotta match and that's kind of been that that is the the, the culture but i think that's part of the fantasy and the escape yes and you know what i mean so then therefore moments like that happens where you do see a white person rocking corn rolls or someone wearing something else and to them because it's part of that world then it's okay it's okay i've always thought that because festivals whether or not really realize it i think there's a subconscious feeling of like preaching freedom like when you're here you're free absolutely and you can do what you want because I guess that's what freedom means to most people. Right. But there is a line for me that is always, that always shoots me back to, okay, you're free, but you're a free black person as a mm. as opposed to a free oh, human. I see. Do you know what I mean when I yeah. see that sort of cultural appropriation happen? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you observe that because it, it, would, it really should just be able to be like free human. For sure. But, but, but. But I see that 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 is something that pops up, which is interesting because, like, I think if I'm there and then I'm feeling free and wonderful and then all of a sudden I have the moments of like, oh, wait, maybe I am not that free, you yeah. know, because having those moments of seeing someone dressed differently and it's like a good self-reflection of like your yeah. own. Or being in a hip hop crowd with a lot of white people and yeah. hearing white people scream the N word. It, it shoots you back yeah. to like your humanity, which is right. like as a black woman, I might not be as free as right. some or of the other people. In this I, yeah. Same with me where I've like looked around and I'm like, um, I'm the only Asian person in this crowd. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I get it. We're all human. I get it. I get it. You know, but it's like those little moments where it's like, ah, okay, okay, let's not make this about race. Right. And I think <laughs> that festivals are trying to diversify lineups, but just because a festival is diversifying their lineup doesn't necessarily mean that you're diversifying the kind of person that is in that audience. Oh, not at all. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yes and no. I mean, like, I'm was I'm a huge fan of, like, Flying Lotus and, okay. like, Matt Zhu, and like, right. he's Asian and Flying Lotus is black and, right. like... Like, I know, not always, but when I've gone and seen, like, a, con- a show of theirs, I do see a, a different crowd. And it could be just when they're playing, ah, you know, versus, yeah. like, a huge, like, a headline, like, a whole lineup of, like, a bunch of DJs and then just right. being, like, that crowd, like, a different, a massive in a way, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But when I have specifically targeted people or groups or DJs that I like 
I mean, obviously it's because of their music, but granted they might as if they are, you know, a minority or, you know, just like a different kind of ethnicity then then I have I have seen it be a little different yeah but I wonder I guess my my retort to that is like I feel like a, a festival is as much its name as its lineup does that make oh, sense like yeah, okay. how much of that diverse crowd that you're seeing at a flying lotus set or at a Matt zoo set is because they're playing versus the people that are in that particular audience wanted to go to this particular festival and Matt Zoo just happened to be playing. Yeah. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So I guess it's different when you, when I'm saying like they're just having a concert versus like a lineup of right. what they're bringing to the festival. Right. Because then for me, it's like, okay, well, Matt Zoo's playing. Is that person or are those diverse people in the audience coming because Matt Zoo's on and they wanted to see Matt Zoo? Or is it because everyone else who's playing isn't good, like, doesn't appeal to them. Mm. And Matt Zoo is, like, the one that kind of had some appeal. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I, yeah. it's the things that I think about when I think about diversity and, like, the audience that is receiving this music. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. I just got a it. thought. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I, it's so interesting. I never thought of a music festival, I mean, that, that a music festival is, uh, it's lineup. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, sorry. You I got confused. I'm thinking of its name. But yeah, yeah, that a music festival is his name. Right. Yeah. Like Coachella sells tickets before that Coachella can almost sell out before the lineup is ever announced because yeah. it is Coachella. Coachella. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the same with Lollapalooza. Right, right, right. I've never been to Lollapalooza. I think that's in Chicago. I've never been either. Hmm. But Interesting. Yeah. Oh wait, I got him confused. I was thinking Matt Zoe, which I think he's also Asian, and then there's also a separate DJ just called Zoo, Zoo yeah. who's Asian. I thought that his <sighs> first name was Matt. Maybe Zoo. it is. I'm not quite sure. Oh, it's but Matt. I know who there's, Zoo there's, is. A, there's a Matt Zoe, and then I there's there's a whole just like just he's Asian too, but he just goes by Zoo. Right. He's like a really young kid from USC, something insane like that. He's only like 21. Good for him. <laughs> More I for think, us. I think we'd also be remiss to talk about festivals and not mention the drug component, drugs. which is so heavy and so prevalent. Oh yeah, you drugs and f- festivals and music festivals go hand in hand. For sure. <laughs> not for, not like for everyone, obviously, but for the most part, when you hear that, you think of drugs. Yeah, that's an implied thing. That yes, and mostly it's had. ecstasy. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think, <laughs> yes. yes, let's just talk about that because before the rave drug was crystal meth. MDMA, math. more, more, more. So. Now it is ecstasy. It is MDMA. Um, I know African-American people pretty well. Black people. Do you? If it's not, if it's not weed, some tree, and it's not lean, and it's not coke, depending on like what kind of black person you are, right. like black people don't really fuck with drugs like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like anything else is sort of strange, and so the black friends of mine that I know that go to shows all the time, just right. concerts, but have an aversion to festivals. It's either it's too crowded, or I don't know what them white people are on. Like they do drugs that I've never heard They're of. Touching and it each other. They're massaging each other. No, seriously, like black, like like. Yeah, it's it's a weird world. If you're not in that world or you've never taken those drugs. Or you're you not have used to people who are on those drugs. Like you're not around, used to around you. them. Yeah, yeah, that it's uncomfortable For sure. and it's confusing and there's a judgment on there. Definitely. Absolutely. But ecstasy in particular, yo, when it hit young Asian kids, Blew y'all lost up. your minds. We did. How did that happen? Okay, I think... Asian culture predominantly, we're not a very emotional culture. Yeah. Hence, or not hence, uh, we're not very, we don't show emotion. Mm-hmm. We don't like to show emotion. We don't talk about our emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's considered weak. And if for some reason, there is a certain level of shame and guilt that is embedded if you show culture. Okay. I mean, culture. Uh, emotion, emotion. In our culture. Uh, and so I think this started probably kind of around my brother's age. So I want to say if he was like, like the late, like... 80s, maybe like early 80s children or kids who sort of started raving in high school. Mm-hmm. I Especially if also to you're a man, but I think the overwhelming sensation that ecstasy, when ecstasy hits when you come up, it's like you feel so much empathy. Mm-hmm. So much that you've never probably felt before in your life. Obviously, you're being your brain is being overrided by right. this drug, but I think it becomes very addictive, which it is. But I think even more so for someone who can't even tap into that on its own in a Got way. It. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. And and I remember like in high school, this I, this is before I even like like did anything and and went to raise. I remember like older older generations above me like when i'd go to parties right like they would be talking and like their pill count would be like 260 like in like 62 or something and i'd be like, like that they've taken or that they have on them that they have taken oh, oh my like God. what's your pill count dude and i'm like how the hell have you taken 262 things of like pills of ecstasy and like i think it's for them to really like be able to feel because mm. they don't know how to do that on their own and then you combine that with a group of your friends and good right. music. Right. And then that blew up. And then the amount of, like, money that there is in selling it, yeah. I think, just is even is even more of an incentive. Of an incentive. And so, yeah, people, Asian kids pop ecstasy. Like, no, they pop, like, at home. Like, they're just chilling and they'll take it at home. And I'm like, what the hell? Oh. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Okay. I've heard of that multiple times. I've never done it, but, like. That's a weird one to me. Because I, I need a home. situation to ha- to take any sort of drug in. And just, like, sitting at home. Hanging out. Hanging out is definitely Rolling not. Balls. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely not no. my. I also think, generally, I don't think, I, I, there's also a lot of Asians that don't smoke weed. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, I don't know. I think there's something about ecstasy that just sort of. Uh, works. It's, it's addicted to they're addicted to the euphoric feeling exactly because they don't know how to I keep saying I'm sort of reiterating myself but it's not like there's not a lot of that general feeling with probably themselves in their own lives mm-hmm. and in their own family okay so that I think euphoric, I understand you know what, what you're I mean? saying you know what I'm saying yeah. that feeling of like of like the love and like the acceptance and the feeling like you're just like everything just feels so good mm-hmm. They that 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 feeling is extremely addictive to them because they don't have that much of that. Agreed. They think they don't. I see what you're saying. You know, or or, or that 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 to tap into that is a lot harder because huh. you have to be really vulnerable to take the drug, or you no, you're vulnerable to, when you're on the drug. No, no, no. You have to be vulnerable and like have a certain level of openness to just experience empathy in general. Oh, yes. I'm saying like in yeah. your own human psyche. Got it. And I think I I I think. I think. <laughs> I think because of most people's Asian, most Asian households upbringing, Mm -hmm. there's none of that. Got it. Right. Hmm. So Asian people love ecstasy for sure. Interesting. Love it. Huh. I never knew that that was, I thought it was just like they needed a really, an excuse to just like lose their minds. Uh, That that too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Cool. It's all, it's all in there together. But, but I, I think the main reason why more than any other drug, you know what I mean? Right. Like. 
I mean, yeah, I, I like Asians do fucking everything. I think they're a little crazy. <laughs> Not maybe so much like, like heart. Like I've never had. Maybe it's just my generation do like crystal meth or like heroin, but definitely cocaine, ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Well, speed back then, ketamine, all these like well, crystal meth like keeps you up all night. I don't know that from experience, but well, I think that was the the reason why crystal meth was like the first rave drug. Interesting. Was because you could keep going for hours. Yeah, well, ecstasy could do that too. Exactly. And if it's like laced with something or um, what's that one other drug? Jesus Christ. I forgot. Oh, acid. But. Yeah, I don't. I think that that's an interesting. I think that's like festival specific. Oh, because sure. I don't know many people that do acid at, at raves. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's mostly, well, yeah, it's mostly festivals for sure. For sure. But it does keep you up forever. It does keep you up for a very (laughs) long time. I think another reason that festivals are lacking diversity, it's not just a a matter of skin color. I think it's also a matter of gender. Mm. There's not a ton of female performers. Like, male performers dominate headlines. Dominate. Dominate. I can't think of They're generally a single the headliners. human, human f- female DJ right now. Oh, one. Jocelyn. Alice in Wonderland. Oh. Yeah. Okay, we both said Toki Monster. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah. Those are the two that pop to mind. Right. Yeah, when Toki Monster was headlining at, I think, Lightning in a Bottle, I was like, oh, I must go. Yeah. Those yeah. are the two Asian females that pop, that, like, spring Popped to my mind. To mind. Yeah. But in general, I feel like uh, festival gender breakdowns, there's, again, a huge disparity. So as I said earlier in the episode, 51% of festival attendees are women. That's over half. We make up over half of the attendees. And then you think that correlation to the DJs, right? There should be more female DJs. You'd think. You'd think. But uh, Huffington Post did a roundup of 10 major festivals that included, I believe it was, Electric Forest, Coachella, Lollapalooza among others, and they found that of the the gender breakdown in terms of artists booked goes like this. 78% were acts with only men. 10% were mixed gender groups, meaning there's at least one female. Oof. And only 12% acts were only with women. Wow. That's a huge disparity. It in, is. In performances, in, I would assume, the type of music that is being played, and, like, this assumption that... Only men can rock parties and can DJ. I don't think a lot of people think about that. You know, like there hasn't been a lot of attention, but it's all male DJs. It's a lot of male DJs. And I think a part of that is this this idea that women are not good with anything technological. Right. Women can't do computers. Yeah, but you're creating, you know? You are creating. But in terms of EDM specifically, which is already is a... It's all technology. It's all technology, and it's already, like, a very notorious boys club. Yeah, I mean, it started from, like, way, way back then. If you, like, name all the super old school, like, Armin Van Buren, like, Tiesto, they're all, like... But I think even going back to, like, Steve Angelo, like, going back to, like, the beginnings of maybe, like, a Swedish house mafia, like, going back to London, where, like, raves and underground uh, music festivals and, and parties started, like, it was a lot of dudes. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we think that women cannot be good with computers. Mm-hmm. Like, taking the artistic aspect out of, out it, of it, like, I think that's a stereotype that is still very much at play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that because it's at play, People perhaps don't. women that want to be DJs maybe are a little bit hesitant because subconsciously society has told them, 
You're not going to be good with right. computers. You're not going to be good with technology. P.S. Women should produce softer music. Yeah. You should be a singer-songwriter. Yeah, maybe a could... pop star with pretty dance moves. Yeah. But a DJ, like, making harsh, brash music and sounds, no, no, no. That's not for you. And I think that that should change. Mm, I Oh, absolutely. I had that moment, too, which I thought was really sad. I think I was at Lightning in the Bottle a couple years ago, and... I saw, like, a female DJ come up, and I, I don't think she was, like, extremely well-known, but her music was great. And I remember having that moment of being like, holy shit, it's a woman up there. Mm-hmm. And then me being like, yeah, why why is there only—why I've been here for, like, three days now, and there's—this is the first time I'm seeing one? Right. You no, and, and isn't that sad when it, it jolts you back when it you're does. like, oh. When I even have an own an, my own reaction to like, oh, it's, it's a oh woman. Oh, my God, it's a woman. Right. As opposed to, wow, that's a great artist. Like, yes. that's a great performer. Yes. And then For I remember sure. thinking that and thinking, damn, that sucks. Yeah, there's just not enough of us up there. And mm-hmm. like, look, I'm a chick that loves festivals, but like, I like to see females perform too. Yeah, it feels good. You're like, yeah, it's like, it's like my own kind up there. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> I think also... In terms of festivals, I feel like we don't see a ton of female headliners because I think that female he- female headliners tend to dominate mostly pop music. Yeah, for sure. You need like Gaga. Or Ariana Grande yeah. or Beyonce, Swift, Swift yeah. uh, S- Serena, Selena Gomez. Gomez. <laughs> I was going to say Selena. Serena Gomez, Selena Gomez, yeah. Demi Lovato. Like these are all essentially pop stars. Mm-hmm. And I would think, as I was saying earlier, like because a, a festival is as much its name as it is the lineup, I would think if you're an artist of, of their caliber, you want to be the main event. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, you don't want Coachella to be the main event. You want Beyonce to be the main event. Yes. You want Ariana Grande to be the main yeah. event. So I think there's also this um, a hiccup because I think that those large pop stars are probably booking their own arena tours. Right. And... I also just don't feel like festivals are kind are like looking for pop acts. Like I feel like no. pop acts are not heavily booked no. at festivals. No, 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 not at all. I just wonder too, like in the EDM world, like how how friendly are, are there to are they to women DJs to get there? Do you know? What I mean? Are they supported? Mm. Like I would like like that's like the ins and outs of like that music industry where we've heard as far as like pop and hip hop like. It's very exposed because people right. talk about it, what it was like to be a first, you know, to be the woman and to right. rise or to be like Nicki Minaj or, you know, so on and so forth. Like what that was like hmm. um, or like how Rihanna started, you know, yeah. like everyone knows her story, but you don't really get the ins and outs of the EDM world. You're saying like, does the EDM world lift as they climb, especially as it caters to women? Yeah. Like are there indi- independent labels or big house labels that see a female DJ and they go like, let's take a chance on her. Let's like EP her stuff or let's like see what she has. Like, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I don't have the answer to that question. I'm just putting it out there. Like I'm really curious because you don't really hear about it and it's not talked about. And most of the time you discover an artist because you like their song. Mm-hmm. and it's usually a guy or you know a lot of EDM music it's like the singer and the DJ and you know, there's like four people and you're like well who's who right you know, well like anytime I, I hear a female voice on an EDM track I'm like oh the female is the singer yeah totally for sure yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely 100% of the time but I'm just wondering uh, how supportive are they to women DJs because I know mm-hmm. they're out there yeah I've seen them on like Instagram and I've like heard it and but not to the level of like like a cascade or I think that's an interesting you know. thing to, to look into. I have no idea. Yeah. I have zero clue. I know, right? I know that FYF tried to do a very female heavy um lineup this year. That's good. And I 
don't think it went well and they canceled it mm. due to ticket sales. And I wonder, I, I applaud FYF 100%. Yeah. Um, their owner, founder, Sean Carlson, was outed last year amid sexual harassment, Ooh. sexual abuse claims. Um, and I think that part of the sort of reclaiming of the FYF festival ideology was to maybe swing the pendulum in a different direction because he was known for booking a lot of guys and yeah. this time booking a lot of girls. Right. And ticket sales were lagging and it had to cancel. I think Janet Jackson was the headliner, so was uh, Florence and the Machine. Mm. And I wonder how much of that was because of the fact that maybe there wasn't enough variance in musical styles. Uh. Or... If it was literally like a, a female heavy lineup just doesn't sell tickets. Yeah. And I couldn't quite figure out yeah, what was more the about? problem at play. Or like when they pick the opener for certain things. There's it always like an too. opener, you know, like yeah. how let, let that be the woman first. Or at least she gets, you know what I mean? I don't know. Because every time I go see a music festival or go to a music festival or go see a concert, like there's always an opener. And I'm always, it, the opener is always a guy. I've yeah. never seen a female opener, like especially when it comes to EDM. Oh, oh! you know what? I don't know if I have either, yeah. actually. When I go see Above and Beyond, when I saw Flying Lotus, when I saw Lane 8, when I saw uh, a plethora. But, like, uh, every time before the actual headliner, there's an opener, you know, mm-hmm. before he comes up. And it's always a guy. Hmm. So, you know. I mean, I know the, the EDM, I guess, DJ duo Cruella is one half female. but mm-hmm. I And I think that they're big enough to headline their own shows. I see. But yeah, a ton of like, I don't, a lot of female DJs are not popping up for me. Like Mm-mm. it's, it's a lot of guys. It is. And it, it's still, it still is. And so I, if that's one thing I can get from this is like, let's have that be, be different. I think people are trying to change that. I, know I agree. That Burger Go-Go, which is an independent label out of Fullerton, Fullerton huh. or Fontana, California. I can't remember the uh, city. They're putting on an all female music festival oh that's awesome. so i'm excited to see how that turns out because yeah. apparently it's selling pretty well that's awesome so i'm i'm interested yeah i wonder how an all-female festival will go over with the general public mm-hmm. i hope it goes over super duper well yeah same here anywho all of that said guys i hope that you have enjoyed listening to our conversation about minorities women and music festivals if you are a dj and you know a female dj lift her up Uh we want to see her on the ones and twos doing the damn thing yep uh as usual, this episode was produced by Christian Humes over at Zeitheist. I am Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun. If you want to find the show's Instagram, we are at Black and Yellow Podcast. I am Jacqueline Chung-Young on the gram. We are also on Spotify and iTunes. We love to hear from you. Um, happy, happy summer, guys. Yeah, stay cool out there. Time. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.